yeah, three, Ecclesiastes chapter three. Over the next um, three weeks, I want to uh, pause a little bit. Um, over the next three weeks, we're going to be dealing with three different topics. And these three topics that we're going to be dealing with, and by the way, can whoever is controlling the mic, can you cut down my mic a little bit? Those of you that come to CBCC regularly know that when I get excited, my voice gets a little loud and I could kind of blow everyone away. I don't want to do that this morning, in part because I, I want to do a little bit more teaching in this sermon than I have, than, you know, I try to do it every sermon, but, you know, a little bit more uh, intentional teaching about some things. But I want to say from the very beginning that over the next three weeks, we're going to be dealing with a few subjects that if somebody asked me, like, hey, Dennis, why are you a Christian? Why, why did you stay faithful to Christ? The next three topics we're going to be talking about is the reason why. As we look at the topic of injustice, as we look at the topic of religion, and as we look at the topic of death, those are, those are three things that have captured my mind as a Christian, and the three things that I wrestled with, right? I, I've really struggled with these three things, um, and, and if you've been in our growth group or if you've been around me for any intentional period of time, you know that at some point I talk about these three things, right? And it just so happens that the book of Ecclesiastes actually deals with these three things very comprehensively. And so we're going to be looking at them as we go along. Um, so we're, we're going to deal with the, pro, uh, the subject of injustice first. And I want you, uh, if you're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're going to begin at verse number 16, and then we're going to go into chapter 4, into verse 13. Uh, let me say, uh, there, this topic is dealt with at various points in the book. This is just one place we're going to deal with it, but it's actually dealt with throughout the book. And, and from time to time, I might draw that in. I might not, de depending on where we are with time and all of that. All right. So give, give attention now to God's holy and inspired word. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so does so dies the other. They shall have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to the dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppression that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead 
more fortunate than the living who are alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we have come to you today because you are the only one that could supply the answers that our hearts need. Lord, this is your word, and these are your people. They need to hear from you. They need to be encouraged. They need um, help. This life under the sun provides many challenges that we are ill-equipped to handle ourselves. And so, Holy Spirit, we need your wisdom to guide us. And that's what we have before us here today. My prayer is that with clarity and with humility, your word might go forth and might offer healing to all of us. Be with us now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As I mentioned, Solomon is dealing with the problem of injustice. And everyone inside this building has experienced some form of injustice or the other, right? Someone has been unkind to you. Someone has been unloving to you. You you have seen either injustice in your family's life or in the lives of the people around you. But, but you've experienced injustice in some way, shape, or form. And, and let me say this. The problem of injustice sometimes is just intractable. Injustice happens, and there's nothing much we can do about it. Uh, for instance, in my home, I'm the, the chief justice. Um, I sit in Moses' seat. And from time to time, if my children are home on a regular basis, uh, Their mother will bring them before me, and I adjudicate whatever grievances they have. And let me tell you, I don't always have all the facts. And and everyone's arguments seem so sincere. And their interpretation of the facts seems so reasonable. I listen to what one has to say, and, oh, that sounds convincing. I'm definitely going to discipline you. But then the other person says, no, 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 wait. Here is what really happened, And, and I'm swayed by that. Right. And so even in my own home, I recognize that the problem of injustice is sometimes intractable. There's nothing I can do about that. But Solomon says, you know, what's worse. The fact that the problem of injustice is intractable, even in our own society. I remember one day I was uh, I went to the gym early that morning. This was back in 2015, and a gentleman that I often worked out with came running up to me, and he said, you heard about what happened with the Charlie Hebno case, and it was a case in France, uh, journalists were killed, and he said, Dennis, where was God then? Why did God allow those innocent people to die? Why does God allow suffering in the world? Why does God allow Good thi- bad things to happen to good people. Now, let me, a- let me say this to you. If, if no one has asked you that question, somebody will. If you've never asked that question of God, at some point in your life, you will. 
Because one of the things that Solomon is doing here in this passage is he's forcing everyone to grapple with the reality of injustice in the world. There is grave injustice in the world. Some people will stick their heads in the sand and pretend that it doesn't exist, but it does. And Solomon says, whether you realize it or not, whether you want to face the reality or not, injustice abounds. There are children being molested in the world right now. There are people being kidnapped and put into slave situations right now. There are people being murdered without cause right now. People being cheated out of their money right now. Injustice is in the world. And Solomon is putting it before us front and center and saying, what is your answer to injustice? What is your answer to injustice? What do you make of it? If God is good and holy and sovereign and all-powerful, then why does he allow injustice to happen? In fact, the greater question is, why does he allow it to happen to you? Aren't you trying to live right before the Lord? Aren't you doing everything that you possibly can that's good and right to follow the wisdom of God, and yet evil and injustice happens to you? So answer me, Christian, if God is all-powerful, why does he let it happen to you? Either that means that God is good and he's not all-powerful, in that case, he doesn't have the power to stop injustice. Or if he has the power to stop injustice, then why doesn't he? That must mean that he's not good. Now, see, these are the questions that the text forces to deal with. And so Solomon gives us some wisdom. And here's the wisdom that he gives us. I want you to listen up because these might not be the answers you want. <laughs> These might not be the way you want the question answered, but I'm so thankful God is wiser than us, and he answers the questions that, that uh, in a way that most explain reality as we see it. And so here's the way he answers the question. First of all, Solomon says that human beings are powerless to stop injustice. That's the first thing. Now, now here's why I think, I think the Bible starts this way in this passage. Here's why. Because most people will say, God is not powerful enough to stop injustice. And if you know people that believe that or you yourself believe that, then you have to grapple with the opposite reality. Let's grant that's true. God is not powerful enough to stop injustice. Just for the sake of argument, if we grant that, then what are we saying? Are we now saying that human beings are powerful enough to stop injustice? Solomon says if that's what you believe, that's absolute nonsense. Human beings are not powerful to stop injustice. How do we see this in the text? Well, first of all, verse number 16, he says that injustice is everywhere. Uh, the passage begins by saying, Behold, I saw uh, under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. What is he saying here? He's saying that injustice is pervasive. That even in places we expect justice to happen, there's no justice going on. So, so Solomon looks in, in, the, in, in the governmental sphere, and he says there's injustice there. He looks in the judicial sphere. He says there's no justice there. He looks in homes and various things, 
He says there's no justice there. In other words, Solomon is saying this. When we look in our society, we see that the system is rigged. And by the way, we've rigged the system. And oh, by the way, we can't, we can't solve the rigging of the system. Solomon says if we're depending on man to solve the problem of injustice, I'm sorry, we can't do it because it's too pervasive. It's everywhere. Everywhere you look, it's in your business. It's in the places you work. It's in the institutions you depend on to keep you safe. Doesn't matter where you go. Justice, injustice is absolutely pervasive. Me and my son started reading a book called The Pearl by Glenn Steinbeck. Everybody remember, anybody ever read that book? It's a fascinating book. And in the book, uh, one of the things I love about the book is that the book um, presents this, this world in which Kino finally finds the pearl in which he could escape the world that he finds himself in. And, and, and after he finds this world, he starts fantasizing. He says, finally, my life will be good. I can take care of my family. I can take care of my, of my wife and my child. And I could, I could escape this world. And then he realizes that everything in that world is designed to cheat him out of his pearl. And so once he realizes this, he immediately starts saying, I have to go to the big city in order to escape the world that I'm in because I realize the entire system is rigged against me. And I thought to myself, what a picture of the gospel. Because Solomon is saying here that we live in a world in which the system at times feels rigged against us. There's so much injustice and it's so pervasive in the system that the only hope that we have is for the world to come. The only hope that we have is for the heavenly city because life under the sun is rigged. And our only hope is for life above the sun in the new heaven and in the new earth. So first of all, Solomon says there's injustice everywhere. Secondly, uh, Solomon says injustice produces unbearable or unmeasurable pain. That's why human beings can't do anything about the problem of injustice. Notice with me in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, again, I saw all the oppression that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. What, what, what is Solomon saying here? Solomon is saying that, look, injustice it's not only pervasive, it's not only everywhere, but it causes so much pain. And, and the point that he's making here that's so profound is this, that really nothing that can be done can address or deal with this pain. Nothing that could be done can address and deal with this pain. Again, I remember back in 2015, there was the Charleston shooting by Dylan Roof. Young man walked in and killed a whole bunch of church worshipers. And I looked at, at all of these people, and they were incredibly forgiving, and, and, and they had forgiven Dylan Roof and, and had uh, moved past that and showed tremendous grace. But one of the things that got me was that they were weeping for the ones that they had lost. Now, D Dylan Roof, I think, was, was given life in prison. But let me ask you a question. 
does life in prison actually address the pain? Uh, let's imagine for a moment if somebody killed every member of your family. And then imagine for a moment they got life in prison. Now ask yourself the question, does their life in prison actually make up for the pain that you're experiencing? Well, Solomon would say no. Not in this life. There's no form of justice that can take place in this life that can address the pain of oppression. The pain of oppression is so oppression is so unbearable that Solomon says the pain cannot be dealt with. Now remember, injustice is all uh, the the whole concept of justice is grounded in the person and work of God. Ultimately, what Solomon is saying is that we on this side of eternity cannot deal with the oppressed or the oppressor. Only God can. You see, within the character of God, God has promised to punish the unjust, but also to restore the just. And in this paradigm, uh, Solomon is saying, look, I, I see the oppressed and there is no one to restore them. That, that's the word comfort. It means to make whole. There's no one who can make them whole. Also, he says, I see the oppressors and on their side is power. In other words, no one that can punish the powerful. Now, keep in mind, who was Solomon? Solomon was the king. He was the chief justice of Israel. And as he's looking at this and saying, look, I cannot give redress to the one that's been punished, I mean, to the ones that are being oppressed. And I cannot, in my own power, do anything to the oppressors. What is he saying in essence? He's saying that at the end of the day, injustice cannot be fully dealt with in this side of eternity. I want that to sink in for a moment. There's a sense in which man believes that he can address all the issues that we have today. And Solomon says, no, it will never happen. It cannot happen. Because ultimately the pain is too great. Now uh, another aspect is Solomon saying one of the reasons why we're powerless to stop injustice in the world is because there are times when injustice becomes so pathological. In other words, so dire that people even despair of death. Notice with me in verse number two and three, Solomon says, and I thought the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are alive, but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. What is he saying? Solomon in essence is saying this, look, that the problem of evil and injustice is so intractable that there are times when it looks like the dead and those that have not even been born yet have an advantage over those that are living because they haven't experienced the suffering. See, beloved, one of the first things that Solomon does for us today is to show us that mankind is incapable um, of dealing with suffering. Now, why does he do this? Because he wants to point us to the answer. And the only answer that the Bible gives is that only Christianity make sense of the problem of injustice and how to deal with that. And how does he address this? Well, notice in verse number 18, he gives a brilliant um, illustration. And, Paul, and Solomon says here, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, 
that God is testing them so that they may see themselves are but beasts. And so Solomon says, first of all, we are just like beasts. That's an observation. Now, why is he giving this observation? What's the point of this illustration? The point of the illustration, I think, is actually found in verse number 19. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. So how does, how does Solomon bring us to the point of the gospel? The key in understanding all of this is by what he said, that man has no advantage over the beast. And the whole point of him saying that is this. He wants to force us to think about that central reality. Now I want to ask you a question. Do you have an advantage over the beast? Do you? Of course you do. You know, the other day, um, you know, I was driving and pondering this question. And as I drove, um, you know, I live in North Georgia. And so uh, as I drove, I saw a dead beast on the side of the road. I saw a dog. It was a cute dog had been hit by a car and was just lying on the side of the road. Then I saw a cat. Um, I didn't cry over that. I don't really like cats, but cats were on the side of the road. Then I saw a bird. Then I saw a possum. I don't like possums either. And I saw a deer, freshly hit deer. Kennedy, thought Kennedy didn't see it, so that's why it was still on the side of the road, right? But, you know, as I kept seeing all these dead animals, I, I, saw, I saw vultures and crows circling and picking at the dead animals on the side of the road. And I started asking myself a question. Is, is, is Solomon is poking at us here. He's goading us. And he's saying, do you really believe you're just like the animals? I mean, he says in some sense we are, right? We, we both have the same breath. We both die. We both go to the dust. He's making empirical evidence here. He's saying in every way we're just like the animals. But his whole point is saying this. When you drive on the side of the road and you see a dead animal on the side of the road, do you say to yourself, I am just like that dead animal? The answer to that question is no. Of course you don't. You understand that there's a difference. And that drives you to ask the question and grapple with the question. Is it true that, that human beings have no advantage over the animals? And it forces us to say no. I remember reading C.S. Lewis's Miracles, and in the book, C.S. Lewis says something quite fascinating. He said that for, for us human beings holding a philosophy that excludes humanity, they yet remain human. At the sight of injustice, they throw all their naturalism to the wind and speak like men. What is C.S. Lewis saying? He's saying this. There's, 
there's a philosophy in our world today, and it's a pretty prominent philosophy known as philosophical Darwinism. And philosophical Darwinism says that you and I are basically just like the animals. We're just like animals. Right? We, we descended from monkeys, and, and our DNA is mostly animal DNA. Right? And really, there's no difference. And, and C.S. Lewis says, yes, that's a great philosophy. And people hold to that and people believe in that. And that's taught in our schools. And that's championed by all the public intellectuals. But C.S. Lewis says, the moment you experience injustice, what do you do? You cast that philosophy away and you begin to speak reasonably. He says, what happens to naturalism and atheism? And philosophical Darwinism, when injustice is experienced, when injustice is at play, where's the philosophy of the atheist uh, when it comes to things like human trafficking? Where's the philosophy of philosophical uh, naturalism or Darwinism when it comes to the issue of human suffering? If we are but beasts, then why do we care about injustice? Why do we care about suffering? Why do we care? Well, we have to answer that question. It's not enough that you just say, well, it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. Everything in our experience says it matters. You are not a beast. You're not like the animal on the side of the road. You know one thing I didn't see on the side of the road when I was driving? A human being. I saw no human beings on the side of the road. Because it doesn't matter if you are a Christian, non-Christian. doesn't matter what you believe. At the end of the day, you act like you are made in the image of God. And Solomon's point here is simply this. When you think about injustice, and then you think about beasts, and you think about death, it sobers you up. And you begin to realize that you're someone created in the image of God and that you're valued and that you have a status before God and that you've been given the task of dispensing justice even in the world. Micah 6, 8 says, He told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to do justice and to love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Do you know who cannot do that? The beast. The beast doesn't care about justice. But God has given you his image. And because he's given you his image, it is required that you execute justice in the world. And now my final point. The Lord ultimately will deal with every injustice in the world. Notice with me in verse number 17. Uh, he paints a grim picture, but at the end of the day, he goes back to the gospel. He says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. The first thing I want to point to you is this, that God has set aside a day to punish evil, to deal with the problem of injustice. The Bible calls this the day of the Lord. If you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you'll see uh, Paul talking about the day of the Lord. And he said, on that day, God will punish 
all the oppressors. That's a day that God has set aside. That's what uh, Solomon is talking about here. That his hope is in the fact that one day God will deal with every form of injustice. And on that day, there will be no unsolved murders. That on that day, there will be no more defrauding or kidnapping or raping or violence. That no one can hide in the shadows. That God alone has appointed a time in which he will deal with every injustice, including the injustice that has happened to you, friend. The injustice that has happened to others. God says that I have set aside a definite time for that. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Because there are so many people where justice will not be seen this side of eternity, under the sun. But our Lord has promised to deal with every injustice in the new heaven and the new earth. But I want you to see something else before we go. Notice in this passage, in verse number 17, Solomon says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. The wicked we understand, but what does he mean by the righteous? Pastor Dennis, what, what does he mean by the righteous? I thought Romans 5.1 says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Or Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Why is it that the righteous will be punished on the last day? Well, you have to understand. What he's pointing us to isn't that you and I who are in Christ will be punished on the last day. He's reminding us that the punishment has already been laid on Christ. You see, when when the last day comes, when the day of the Lord comes, all of those that are in Christ will not be judged because Christ ultimately has already taken on the punishment on the cross. You know, the biggest uh, injustice that ever happened in the world happened that day when Christ died. You see, Jesus was perfect, unlike us, never sinned, didn't deserve any punishment that he got. He was lied on, spat on, whipped and beaten. Every injustice that we've committed on Anyone was put on Christ. And the Bible says on the last day when he wipes away every evil in the world, if you are found in Christ, you won't be wiped away. Why? Because he already bore your punishment. That's the whole point of substitutionary atonement. That on the last day, all of the punishment you were supposed to receive for the injustice that you committed will be spared. Because if you are found in Christ, he's already taken that punishment away. Christian, you are forgiven. You've been set free. You don't have to fear the day of the Lord if you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and save you. You don't have to fear the judgment. There is no fear in judgment, actually. Because Christ has taken on your punishment. Now, you might be in here today, and you might say, well, Pastor Dennis, I've never trusted Christ as Lord and personal Savior. Well, we'll do it. Ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. You see, you can't 
you can't care for the, you, you can't pay for the justice for yourself. There's no amount of things that you can do. There's nothing, in fact, that you can do to make up for the injustice that we cause towards others. There's nothing that we can do here on earth to deal with the injustice in this world. It has to be put all on Jesus. And it is that reality, beloved, that we walk in, even in the here and now, that makes it possible for us to do justice here on earth. Amen. That's why I love the gospel. That's why I love the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Your word is abundantly clear. There's, there's a problem with injustice in our world. And the reality is that we are absolutely...